0: Welcome to the Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts: world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University.
1: Good evening. Good morning, no matter where you are uh, around the world. Ryan's going to talk through um, uh, one of the one of the psychological principles. Uh, And we're then just going to have a conversation about it. And hopefully in there, there will be some learning about uh, why people do what they do and why customers do what they do and all that other wonderful stuff.
2: So Ryan, the topic for today's conversation is extremeness aversion. So uh, let me define that and talk through some examples and then talk about what it means. Uh, Extremeness aversion is a principle that seems to motivate a lot of people when they make choices. So, there seems to be just this natural human tendency to want to avoid extreme options in many cases. That clearly won't always be the case. But in many situations, people tend to prefer kind of a middle or a compromise solution. So let me tell you about a couple of studies that illustrated this um, just to give you an idea. So one study uh, gave people a choice between three different cameras. Or Excuse me, let's start with the, the the earlier part. So one, one study gave people a choice between two cameras. So there was a, um, a, a nice Minolta camera that was priced at $170, and then there was another one that was a, a nicer model, same same brand, still a Minolta, and that was priced at $240. And given the choice between these two cameras, uh, it, it split, so people were about 50-50 in either of these cameras. Different group of people, same two cameras, but then they added a super premium camera. So still a Minolta, but an even better brand, and this one was priced at $470. So let's think about what should have happened there. If people's preferences for cameras are distributed in some way, right, then that first set tells us that people are in between this this less expensive and more expensive camera. That's kind of, where the the preferences lie. If you add an even more expensive camera to that set, what should have happened is that uh, that camera that was in the middle, share should have been drawn away from that camera. So people should have shifted from that, uh, what was now the middle camera, over to the more expensive camera. That's not what happened. Instead, that middle camera actually gained share. It went from 50% of the choice share up to 57%, and the rest of the choices were split between the high and the low. So, so there was this, this push towards this middle option when it became the middle option. So that's one study. Let me tell you about one more study, and then I'll kind of back back away from this a little bit and talk about the principles behind it. This other study was run at Duke University, and they had people go on a virtual road trip. So they said, imagine you're going to go to all these cities, and you're going to need to eat at all these restaurants as you're going through, and so they had people make a bunch of food choices at a bunch of hypothetical restaurants. Now, they weren't interested in what they chose for food. They were interested in what they chose for the drink. So at all the restaurants, there were three drink options, a small, medium, and a large. But they randomly changed the sizes of the small, medium, and large. So at some stores, it was the small was a 16-ounce and the large was a 24-ounce. At other stores, the small was a 24-ounce and the large was a 32-ounce. So it changed their, uh, dramatically across stores. What they found was, regardless of the size of the cup, there was a strong preference for the medium soda at all of these restaurants. So people seemed to be indifferent to the actual size of the medium. Instead, they just wanted the medium, whatever that happened to be.
1: So I am exactly this person, okay? So uh, whenever I get something done around the house, I always get three quotes, and I, I never go with the highest one, I never go with the lowest one, I always go for the one in the middle. Um, uh, I always think the lowest one is too cheap, Mm -hmm. and therefore there must be something wrong with it. And the highest one, I assume, is somebody just—I don't know whether a profiteer or whatever. But I, you know, ninety percent of the time, will go for the one that's in the
2: middle. So I guess I'm just following on from what you're articulating. Yeah, and some businesses articulate that as a rule too. When they're when they're bidding out business, they'll explicitly tell their purchasing agent, get a bunch of quotes, throw out the high and the low, and pick one of the ones in the middle.
1: Yeah, For because that that's reason. a good point in itself, actually. Because some of the bidding processes, if you just choose the lowest one, by definition, you're just going to get the one that's well. Maybe this is now just me following
2: in with the same rule <laughs> and yeah. trying to justify it. <laughs> Well, well, but this is the logic, right? And um, I think this some, has some intuitive appeal because so many people can see themselves behaving in that way. Um, yeah. So, again, this, this doesn't always happen. There are clearly cases where you seek out the lowest price available on something or where you want the highest quality that you can possibly get. Uh, but in a lot of cases where you don't have strong preferences going into the situation, there's this natural tendency to want something that's kind of moderate or a
0: compromise. We're so pleased that you're listening to this episode of The Intuitive Customer. As a listener, we want to offer you a free download of Colin's ebook, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. Take advantage of this free offer being made available only to listeners of this podcast. Do it now. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com/podcast and follow the link for the free book. That's beyondphilosophy.com/podcast.
1: So I've got a really good question for you yes. that's going to stump you. Okay, you ready for this? Okay. Stump <laughs> there. Does this happen in politics? Yes. It's interesting. Um, I... so you don't go for the right-wing candidate or the left-wing candidate. You go for the one that's in the middle.
2: So politics is complicated. complicated. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that if you look at...
1: So, it's more so, like a belief system, isn't it? I would have thought politics, to try to help you out here, is
2: more like a belief system as well, isn't it? Is. It? it is. Um, in fact, there's a, a psychologist named uh, Jonathan Haidt who has written extensively on the fact that uh, a lot of people view politics in a way that's much more consistent with religious belief uh, than consistent yeah. with kind of logical policy um, pronouncements. Yeah.
1: But it makes right. me think if you've got, the, because I mean you, you've probably seen what's happening in the French um, well, obviously what's happened with in the UK with Brexit, then what happened with in the US elections now what's happening in France you're sort of getting this polarisation Right um, you know, whereas people I mean it's even interesting even interesting actually in the words centrist because they talk about being in the centre as as, and, and even the word extreme, either end, sort
2: of says that you don't want to be there, doesn't it, really? So so I think I can tie this back to extremist version in, in two ways. Um, remember when I said that there, if you have a strong preference beforehand, then you're more likely to choose an extreme option? So you, if, you're, if you're just extremely cheap and you like getting the best deal that you can all the time, then... Yeah you won't go for this middle option, you'll go for the cheap option because you have this strong preference. If you look at the primary system in the in the United States, it tends to be people with very strong views who yeah. vote in primaries. So yeah. Bill Clinton had this, famously had this bit of wisdom that when you're in the primaries, you run for the extremes, and when you get to the general election, you run for the middle. And I think that that, that reflects some of this idea of extremist version. If you're trying to appeal to a, a customer group to these voters who have strong preferences, then you go for the strong preferences. But most Americans just aren't that involved in politics. They just don't care that much. And so yeah. their views are more easily persuadable. And so when you get to the general election, there is this kind of extremeness aversion that starts to manifest. Sure. So that's one. The other insight, it gets to what you're, you're raising there at the end, which is, um, uh, we would call this a, a context-based preference. So when we talk about uh, the center or extremes, well, what defines the center? And, and what is an extreme? Uh, and all of those are, are based on context. So extremeness aversion, one of the insights here, so we've got this, this fun little effect, right? People tend to prefer middle options. But it has this profound implication, which means that there are cases that people are making choices where they don't have strong preferences going into the situation. Instead, they form their preferences As they're making their choices. So, if you're choosing an a a compromise option, think about those drink sizes in that study I just showed you about. If you are going uh, choosing the middle option because you like it as a middle option and are not paying attention to how big that middle option is, then you may be forming a preference for a you know 28 ounce drink because it was the middle option in that particular set. Right. So So, yeah. driving your choice
1: so let me so as usual there is potentially three or four things that are happening here then and let me just try and put some of these together and check to make sure i'm going down the right path so you've got the you've got anchoring
2: huh.
1: okay so, uh-huh. so but for anchoring, it's you know you're giving out a price or whatever else you're you're setting for me it's like setting an expectation yeah yep. um, and then once you've set that expectation this is then when it comes in because in between time you don't know um, mind you you may have a perception of what you think it is I guess um, but you don't know what what the price is until it's sort of been anchored but I guess you've always got some idea of what you think it's going to be. So um, can
2: you give me an example?
1: Yeah, um, it, it's when I, I, just, I was just thinking, um, even today I've been talking to one of our vendors um, and he was asking me what price did I think it would be. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess classic sales pitch, as it were. Yeah. Um, And I thought, I don't really know what I think it would be. yep. You know? Um, But I'm sure if he told me it was $10 million, I'd be really surprised. And I'm sure if he told me it was nothing, I'd also be very surprised. So, I mean, that's where you start getting that sort of anchoring. But then once you've done that, then it's... Okay, well, within that range now. So let's say it was I don't know, thirty to fifty thousand. Then you're going okay. So the mid- top range is even by saying thirty to fifty. Uh, you know, bottom is thirty, top is fifty, uh,
2: and therefore I guess I'm going uh, probably be forty grand or something like that. That's right. Yeah, I mean, this exactly captures uh, a lot of the wisdom there. So if if you buy in this category a lot, right? If this is a, a a thing that you, you purchase frequently, you might have a pretty good reference point already. And that would sure. be just internal. That would be inside your head. And so when, when this vendor says, well, how much would you expect it to cost? You're like, well, I know exactly how much it should cost. It should cost $42,000. That's how much I've been paying for it. That's what's on the market. Sure. If you I don't know. Uh, and so you can use that that internal reference price to evaluate the options. If you don't know, and the vendor comes to you and says, well, I've got three options. We've got a, a, a $30,000 option. We got a sixty thousand dollar option. We got this one in the middle here for, for forty thousand dollars, forty two thousand. Now, now all of a sudden, that forty two thousand looks pretty good. Right? That because it's it's not the worst, it's not the best,
0: it's somewhere in the middle. The Intuitive Customer Podcast is brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Since two thousand two, Beyond Philosophy has been helping organizations improve their customer experience through their consulting, training, and research services. Find out more at beyondphilosophy.com. That's beyondphilosophy.com.
1: So does that mean then, Ryan, if we go back and I ask my usual question of, so what does this mean for customer experience? Yep. Yep. So that means, therefore, that in the main, we should be offering three options with the one that we want
2: the customer mainly to take to be the middle one? Yes, if there's one particular offering that you have that for some reason you think is the best for you as a company to sell, maybe you've got the highest margins on it, maybe it's the easiest for you to produce, Um, I would make sure that that's not an extreme option. So anecdotally, a lot of restaurants will report that their best-selling wine is the second-lowest-priced wine on the menu. Nobody wants to buy the cheapest wine. It's a bad way to get a second date. You don't want to go for the cheapest, but you also don't care that much about the wine, so you're just going to go for the second. Well, that position as the second least expensive wine on the menu is entirely determined by the restaurant. They get to decide which wine goes there. Um, Similarly, if you are selling a a premium product that you want to sell better, a, a good strategy is to offer a super premium product Above it, right. that's yep. likely not to sell well, but it'll probably drive up choice shares of your premium option. Sure.
1: Yeah.
2: sure.
1: So, why do why do lots of organizations not do this
2: I had a conversation several years ago with somebody at a um, uh, a cable company, and she was telling me that their their <sighs> primary package, the one that like eighty or ninety percent of their percent of their customers had, people were very dissatisfied with it because they and they thought it was too expensive or they didn't think that and I, I tried to pitch this idea to her. I said that, you know, you could you could add options to your set that you don't expect people to to get, but that would make the current yeah. offering seem more attractive by comparison. And yeah. she was just not on board with this idea at all. Um, it's especially in a in a case like that where adding the additional options doesn't cost you anything, really. Um, It uses the power of these relative comparisons to your advantage. Uh, I think that there's this idea that people don't make decisions this way, and so therefore, it wouldn't matter, Um, right? If you go into it with the idea that people know what they want, uh, or they're comparing extensively across brands or across stores, and that's how they're forming their opinions, then doing something like adding a super premium option to the set wouldn't change anything. If that's not what people want to buy, then why would I add it to the set? So you, but the, this research in psychology suggests that you, you could actually make people happier with the option that they're getting if there's another option out there that's more extreme.
1: But I guess it's not taking account of um, value, is it? And I guess it, it's not necessarily taking account of how important somebody, something is. Mm. So, uh, 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 so what I'm thinking here now is, so let me give you an example. I'm thinking, let's just talk about the cost of a phone call. Okay. Well, you've, you can either have a, a, a cent, cent a minute, two cents a minute, or three cents a minute. Well, which person in their right mind would say I want it at the middle one, at two cents a minute? Very okay. good. Yep. You, and I guess therefore, because it's a utility, because there's no additional value in the two cents or three cents in those offerings, you're not using that. That then, you're not using ex, extreme SI.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a that's a really important kind of boundary condition on this effect. Uh, this effect will tend to not happen when people have strong opinions, have very strong, um, well-defined preferences going in. And also, it, it requires a setting where there's a trade-off. Right? So uh, if, if it's just about paying more for the same thing, well then obviously, no, nobody's going to want kind of a middle option there. If it's paying more to get more, well then yeah. now there's a trade-off. Now there's a conflict between the options. You you need both of those conditions to happen in order to expect to find um, extremist aversion happening. So that's a really important point to raise.
1: So how does it tie in then with... um, I always get this muddled up. Uh, basin dominance? Yeah, dominance, yeah.
2: Yeah, so this is the decoy effect. Yeah. And they are uh, similar. So they, they rely on slightly different... Um, drivers, I, I guess I should back up and define the decoy effect. So the, the decoy effect is also sometimes called the asymmetric dominance effect or the attraction effect. Popcorn. The there, sorry? Popcorn at
1: cinemas. Uh, right. Yeah, that's a great example. That's the one that every time I go into a bloody cinema, I think yeah, they're, they're doing it again to me and and I'm falling for it again. That's right. So they, $4 for a, a small one, $4.25 for a middle one, and, you know, know $4.50. And you think to yourself, well, how does that work out? But
2: you can't apply logic to it, but they're clearly trying to push you in one way. That's exactly right. Um, so the, the popcorn in the cinema is, is one example where they've constructed a choice set in such a way that there are options that are dominated by or that are are nearly dominated by other options in the set so sometimes these are called decoy options because they're they're clearly bad like they, nobody should be choosing them but what they do is they make other options in the set seem more attractive so yep. for example from politics actually um some researchers back in the 90s um uh when uh George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton and Ross Perot were the three main candidates running, uh, I think that was 92. Um, Ross Perot was kind of a centrist, independent candidate, and so he had some Democratic-leaning positions and some Republican-leaning positions. Uh, These researchers took these three candidates and described them to potential voters and made Ross Perot either sound like kind of a democrat light or like a republican light so they took his real positions but they emphasized certain ones over others when he was described as a democrat light that increased the choice share for clinton when he was described as kind of an almost republican he increased the choice share for bush so it's like well i could choose this this democrat or this republican i'm not sure which one is better but this republican's clearly better than this almost republican And so that became kind of a reason to choose. So both of these, the the asymmetric dominance or attraction effect and extremeness aversion, also sometimes called the compromise effect, they're both similar in that they both explain how the context drives people's choices. Um, When you get into behavioral economics and choice architecture, same underlying principles. The fact that people don't know exactly what they want until you show them what's available, and then, based on what's available, they'll choose the best of kind of what's there. And yeah. we're using principles like don't buy the cheapest, uh, don't buy the most expensive, um, look for options that are better
0: than other options. The Intuitive Customer is being brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Your frontline teams should be trained on how they can practically influence customer decision using some of the psychological techniques discussed in these podcasts. To understand Beyond Philosophy's unique approach to the training of frontline teams, just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training.
1: So the secret, so the take out, if you like, because I'm, I'm conscious that we're getting up to time. When you're presenting, and I'm now going to be careful with my words, options to mm-hmm. your customers, so it's not just about price, but it right. could be even about a customer complaint where you could say, well, I can either offer you this, I could either offer you that, yes. or I could offer you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Therefore, the perception is, or what you should be doing is thinking about, well, which one do I really want the customer to take yep. or whatever, um, and that's an interesting point in itself. Um, but whichever one, the middle one, and then I need to sort of wrap those two extremities around it. And I'm wrapping those extremities around it to um, to really go, you don't want this one, and you don't want that one. It's so obvious that you want that one. Yeah, right? I mean, look, there are... I guess it can't be too ridiculous, otherwise they just look like they're, they're, you're being stupid, basically.
2: Right, yeah, no, clearly if it looks like if people feel like you're trying to manipulate them, then that will tend to backfire disastrously. Um, you know, there, there are a number of reasons for having multiple options. It could be that you're just covering the marketplace, right? It could be that there's there are people out there who, who have different preferences. That's fine. Uh, you should expect, though, that on average, many situations, if you have three options available and there's a trade-off between the options, that there will tend to be kind of this natural preference for the middle option.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I can hear somebody saying, "Well, you know, I offer three options, and and you know, there's a trade-off there. Uh, but people, people all, all tend to go for the cheapest option. You know, so what's going on there? And that may be because your three options are are just mapped at the extreme of what people are willing to pay, right? So, yeah. so this isn't magic, right? If people have some General inclination towards wanting to pay less, then they're going to go for the cheapest option.
1: Yeah. And but I think the other, you know, the other thing for me that's key is that you never look in these things in isolation, building on your magic right. point. You, you know, you never turn around and go, well, if we do that, that's going to change the world. It's a server. Sort of it's more of a, a, a series of things and a series that you have to put into place.
2: And yeah, the other, I, think, for me, I think that's a, general, a good general warning. We'll be talking in these conversations about a lot of these psychological principles. There is no psychological theory that holds all the time for everyone in every situation, not yeah. none of them. No. So no, the no. question, where can we apply these? Can we test these out? I
1: interrupted yeah. you. Though. And that, for me, when it comes back in go going, when you're designing a customer experience, segmenting the customers is one thing so you can start putting people into different groups but then taking these theories and designing the implications of these into the experience becomes uh, becomes a, a, a key um, plug for the book if you want to read the book where we talk a lot more about this stuff the intuitive customer take a look at that uh, and so until then um, thanks very much thank you